This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. What is this uproar? These words of the high priest Eli as at the cries of the people of the town of Shiloh are telling. Think about it, the noise of a crowd of, of tens of thousands of people can be wondrous, and it can also be fearful. For us in our country, probably the most vivid times, we experience crowds of a large nature in terms of making a loud noise or music concerts, sporting events. As a longtime broadcaster of the Dodgers said, the roar of the crowd has always been the sweetest music. It's intoxicating. For all of us as humanity with a propensity towards sin, the sound of a crowd can have two meanings. One is that of joy in the good, whether at the cheering for a piece of music that has been performed at a high level or a good play in a sporting event. The other is that of glee through prideful sin, showing a sort of pride in terms of a, a leader speaking sins, inciting the people to evil. We've seen this in our own history, uh, going back even to World War II and so forth, with leaders inciting crowds to scream for violence. That is the evil, prideful scream. This morning, let us look at our passage in 1 Samuel chapter 4 through the lens of two events within this passage that bring up noise that is generated at a large level. One out of a prideful occurrence and one out of mourning and crying and defeat. The first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 11, finds clarity through the prideful uproar of the Israelite army when the Ark of the Covenant arrived into the camp. The background to this, though, stems to what we read today in verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. The next verse stated the result. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed 4,000 men on the field of battle. The elders of the leaders of Israel gathered, and what we read in verse 3 is telling. They said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Knowing their own history, when defeat occurred at the hands of their enemies, enemies that the Lord told them to clear from the land, it was always due to their rebellion and their sin against God. Interestingly, the chapter begins with the following preface. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Remember the previous chapter, Samuel was given the word of God. Samuel was given the mantle, if you will, of a prophet, hearing the word of God, spreading the word of God to the rest of the land after God's word had been rare for a time. God's word to his people 
had gone from that time of rarity to now a time of prevalence through the man Samuel. The elders knew their defeat was from the Lord, but they chose to ignore this fact. They continued down the road of disobedience. In our own lives, sometimes we hit similar events, and instead of listening to Almighty God, we continue to go down our little selfish paths to find fulfillment through sin. God, though, continues to love us in his patience, his grace, teaching us even through our sinful mistakes. Of course, it's our choice when we make mistakes, when we sin. We either enslave ourselves to sinful things through self-service, or we submit to Almighty God. God is always present with us, calling us repeatedly through his holy word, through his prophets, through his ministers to repent. And he is waiting in patience. The sinful solution or thing that Israel turned to in this chapter in terms of trusting something else over God was what we found in the next part of verse 3. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. Notice here, nothing was uttered about the issues with their own sinfulness as a nation. Notice nothing was spoken of concerning repentance or even of consulting with men of God such as Samuel. No, they only acknowledged that God defeated them. They refused to get to the root of the issue, the issue of their hearts turned from God to serve self, to do what was right in their eyes. We do the same with Jesus Christ at times when we're in times of rebellion, seeking my kingdom first over Jesus Christ, over our neighbors, over our families. Israel went into a halfway mode here, if you think about it, thinking that using the ark as a weapon would save them. Instead, repentance before God and turning back to him from the rebellion was what was called for and needed. They turned the ark into an object of salvation to use magically as a charm just as all the pagan nations around Israel used. It was much the same premise that spurred the creative thoughts behind the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, with the Nazis wanting to find the ark in the movie to use as a weapon to conquer the world. Yet in the hands of angry sinners as Israel was, the ark did them no good. Their pride as a nation was their downfall. Pride in not owning to their sin, to top their audacity to treat a holy thing of God with such superstition. The seal on the outcome of the coming battle was that the two apostate sons of Eli that we have read about the last couple weeks brought the ark to the camp. This is probably why later in the chapter we read Eli's, Eli's reaction or his waiting. He, it says, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. With his sons taking the ark into battle and knowing the dire prophecies concerning their upcoming doom, he had great fear not for his sons, but for the ark that was in their possession. The pride of Israel comes to an unholy fruition, what we read today in verse 5. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. This prideful shout alarmed the Philistines to the point they took the initiative in fear and attacked. At our root, 
If you think about it, God has created us to worship. But what do we worship, though? For Israel, they worshiped their perceived autonomy to do what pleased them in their own eyes. They thought they had won over on God here and his call to faithfulness to him alone by misusing something God had given them as a people as a reminder of their salvation. They thought they could use the things of God to further their decline into rebellion and self-autonomy. Their pride was their downfall. Often, how often do we do the same with Christ? How often do we neglect his grace so that we can do as we please? How often do we mistreat others so that we can please self? How often do we twist God's holy word as more of a magical charm to do our bidding to please self? As with Israel and suffering a crushing defeat as we read next in losing 30,000 more to the Philistines, we too are broken in our sinful rebellion. Part of the work of God in our hearts and our lives, the work of sanctification is the constant work of God that he does within us to break down all the barriers of sin that we erect. God, as we saw at the start of this chapter, was working through the prophet Samuel as his word came to all of Israel. Often though, for the soil of our hearts to be fertile for the word of Almighty God, God has to break the ground of our hearts first with his plow. He did this here for the nation of Israel. Sounds of shouting and uproar and sinful and prideful moments are not uncommon in Holy Scripture as we read today. Exodus 32 provides us another example of sinful noise in the context of another piece of rebellion, of pagan worship. If you remember the story, the people were at the bottom of the mountain for 40 days as Moses was at the top of the mountain with God and Joshua nearby. As these two men came down, Joshua made the comment that it sounded like war or battle in the camp. Now think about it. Think about it as we know from the word of God that they were worshiping a golden calf. They were worshiping a god from Egypt. The noise of pagan worship is unholy. It is as the din of battle with screaming, with shouts. In other words, it is the sound of death. In their pride of making a golden calf to worship it, they turned to a debauched worship. The other sound of sinful pride is that of rebellion, a similar that we read today. Another example of this occurs in Numbers chapter 14, where the people cried out in utter rebellion against God, against two of the men that had spied the promised land, and they rebelled, saying they would not go in, causing a tumult. The most chilling example of a sinful crowd occurs, of course, at the trial and the sentencing of Jesus to his death at the cross. The crowd incited by the religious elite shouted out for Christ to be executed. Again, just as in pagan worship, they are shouts of death, cries for death. They are signs that a breaking point has been reached. This moves us to the last part of chapter 4 today, best summed up in the humbled uproar that Eli asked about in verse 14. The following in the last part of verse 13 contains or describes this reaction of the city of Shiloh. And when the man came to the city and told the news, all the city cried out. This cry was profound as Eli described it. 
as an uproar. The uproar and crying caused by brokenness, caused by defeat, is much different from the uproar of pride and self through rebellion or even pagan worship. The cry of the humbled is heart-wrenching. The cry of rebellion and pride is blood-curdling, death-inviting. Such draws the unaware into its prideful clutches. But the cry of the humbled brings one to tears. It brings others to crying as well and empathy for those that are in mourning. The difference, though, is that the, the cry here at Shiloh served as a breaking point, a turning point, the fulfillment of what was spoken earlier in this book and the prophecies concerning the high priest Eli and his apostate wayward sons. Shiloh's cries came at a great defeat, at the loss of the ark, something they trusted in over God. Now all they had left was God to turn to him in sorrow, in repentance. Remember that this chapter began with one small yet significant sentence about the word of Samuel coming to all of Israel. All they had left was all that they needed in the first place. God's faithfulness and long-suffering with his people by his word, by his law. The old way of the last 400 years in the period of Judges, doing what was right in their own eyes here, was leaving the scene with Eli dying as he fell in despair. With the passing of his house, we see that now all the people had was God and his word through his prophet Samuel. Yes, the ark was in the hands of the enemy. His word, though, was with his wayward people. Samuel remained while Eli and his house left the scene. The last vestige of the people of this era doing what was right in their own eyes was gone. The last straws we read today occurred in using an implement God gave them as a charm. And God took this from them. God does the same with all of us. Taking away every token we try to use in self-righteousness or even in rebellion to do things our way with no regard for Christ and his work at the cross. We are not righteous through what we say, through what we do, through what charms we use, or anything else. We are righteous through Jesus Christ alone. As our psalm today stated in verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Our cries for deliverance are heard. God acts as he acted for all time through his son, Jesus Christ. The uproar and the cries for deliverance are sounds, if you will, of worship to God. They turn from sorrow to the joy he brings in his salvation. In such, the sounds of worship are that of peace. They're that of joy, turning our hearts to the Lord. When sounds of worship turn inward, though, again to please self, it must be to us a danger sign. It must be to us a sign to turn back. We read of proper shouts of joy and cries of worship throughout the Psalms, seven times alone today in our psalm. We read that God's worship is decent. God's worship is orderly, conveying all our singing towards him and his glory. We read one instance of this in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27. 
And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. These were sounds of worship and thanks to the Lord for his grace and his mercy after returning to the land after 70 years of captivity due to their rebellious sin. Yes, they had been broken in their sins, but God raised them up to serve him. They responded with praise, with a joyful sound. In Acts chapter 2, we read of the same type of thing with the coming of the Holy Spirit to start the church. We read that a mighty sound came forth. We read that the sounds of the apostles speaking mightily and the languages of all those that were gathered that day, that Pentecost, drew the people from all over the world into them. The sound of worship, of the word of God, draws us back to God. It is a beautiful sound. The same occurs in John's vision in the book of Revelation in chapter 14 describes in vivid detail for us the sound of heavenly worship. We in gathering here today with God's word read, God's word preached, musical instruments and our voices joined in adoration to God in worship, we too make a joyful noise. We are called to listen to the word and we are called to respond with our voices, with our instruments out of joy, out of adoration, out of reverence to worship our King. In our lives in Jesus Christ, let us be mindful. Let us be on guard for areas of our lives where we might be exhibiting prideful noise. Let us remain humble, crying out to him in repentance. Let us remain humble, shouting out with joy and praise and thanksgiving for everything that he has done for us in our worship. Let us keep our ears in tune to each other, to hear when others are in need, to answer their calls, to answer their shouts, to exhort others to come back to God, to repent when we hear shouts of pride. And let us pray for their deliverance. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgivings in your hearts to God. Amen.